0: Hello, welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast. I am Jordan Dollar-Coltman. I am joined by Tyler Walzak. Tyler, uh, Saudi Arabia was a rather uneventful race uh, overall. Obviously, Saudi Arabia has in previous years been quite eventful. We've yet to see a race free of safety cars, including this season. But it was definitely lower incidents than we may have expected on such a tight circuit track. And I mean, it was kind of the people we exp- expected to be at the front were at the front and a little bit of more internal drama. We'll talk about all that. But for you, as you look at Jeddah in, I think, the third or fourth time we've been here, uh, second race of the season, bit of a letdown after what was a pretty exciting first race of the season, wouldn't you say?
1: A thousand percent. Um, I mean, I guess the takeaways from this race that you could give out is last week or two weeks ago, we talked about how dangerous this race was and that this was a track that the driver said is the most dangerous one on the track. And there was no safety cars or flags or red flags or any accidents or crashes that happened um, based off any of those dangers that they thought previously. So the driver still said that it's tough to see sometimes because they want to see more than three or four seconds behind them. But um, it was that part was good. It seems like they've kind of got that under control. But yeah, there wasn't a lot of racing drama, but there's a lot of team drama that happened this past weekend.
0: Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that. As you say, no real like on track incidents or whatever. The one safety car we got, which I mean, I want your opinion on this because it felt like it was almost a, a bit of an overreaction to pull the safety car out when we did. We saw obviously the car go off. It had to be removed from the track. But I mean, he put the car in a pretty safe spot and it didn't feel like it was really impeding traffic. We probably could have at least just gone to the Virtual safety car. I don't know how much of an impact it really had for most of the teams, but it definitely helped Max, who was obviously trying to make up places. It kind of constantinaed the whole thing, and everyone got some free pit stops out of it. But it felt a bit premature, did it not? Maybe early season, quick to the trigger for some race directors,
1: especially because they're probably looking for more drama. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but it was a pretty cut and dry race from the get go. um and so they might have been looking for something we gotta spice this up a little bit um it was a very standard race by all means um it literally like the safest almost everybody kind of made it without any real incidents or driver errors throughout this whole thing um it was yeah it was last week we thought i had a boring race but it was the first race this was Way more boring than that one. Well, and I don't the even drama,
0: think- as you say, the drama was internal, and we will talk about that. But I do want to talk about the the sort of out, external drama that we did get. But it was post race, and it was a very messy and and kind of chaotic end to how this race ended. Now, to give the context, of course, if you're listening to this and you didn't watch the races, God bless you. But uh, the truth is, this race had its only real drama from the very first, the start of the race. Alonso lined up incorrectly exactly like what we saw okan do in bahrain which we have now come to expect is going to be something they're clearly looking at much tighter this year than previous years much more scrutiny he lined up a little bit outside the box immediately was given a five second penalty he said copy no problem moving on and they carried on with the race he attempted to serve that penalty at his first pit stop by all indications at first it looked like no problem they served it now of course that's that to be fair, that uh, pit stop was during the safety car, so everyone was pit stopping. He kind of got off Mm -hmm. scot-free in that sense. He didn't really lose any time because of it.
1: 100%.
0: But it then came to light later on near the end of the race that perhaps the back jack man, who has the, the, the jack that pops the car up in the air so the wheels can be changed, may have touched his car early. And then Following the race, following the podium ceremony, he'd already been handed the third place trophy. It had already been made official. He was the third place finisher. Following that, the FIA came out and said, actually, yes, the back Jackman or the rear Jackman did touch the car early, violating the five-second penalty. And he, would, he got a 10-second penalty on top of that. Not unlike, again, what Ocon suffered last week. But then Aston Martin challenged it. They said they had video that proved that he didn't touch it in the wrong place and all of the, la, 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 By the time it was all sorted, George Russell had already been handed the third place trophy had already gone out on social media and said, Hey, great. Isn't it nice? We, we, we got a third place. We didn't really think we were going to get in this lovely actually, by the way, it's, it's Alonzo's again. It felt very, uh, what was that? Uh, um, uh, La La Land, uh, uh, whatever that movie, it lost the uh, Oscar after the other, party was announced like yeah. It was so ugly and so messy and so sloppy and again most people turn this race off probably post podium moved on with their sunday and had no idea that all this additional drama was unfolding only to find out later maybe on social media that oh maybe Alonso didn't we get in third place oh actually he did get third place i mean it just feels like by that point you had what 36 laps post pit stop to figure this shit out and the faa once again just makes an absolute mess of it
1: it's classic FIA. This is the problem with the FIA. I don't know what their problem is. I don't know how they can't figure this stuff out. Every other sport seems to have their like review process figured out by now. FIA just can't get it done, and it's been a problem for years. You look at it on the other side, Aston Martin has so many aspects of their strategy and people behind the scenes doing the proper things in terms of getting Alonzo on the podium again, and then the fears of him coming off of it. They had, apparently they had seven different examples already lined up to go yeah. to, to fight this, to appeal this. Yeah. And it was like, boom. Okay. Yeah. You guys are right. Ready to go. Like Aston Martin's on top of their game right now in all aspects of, of being a team.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's it. I mean, obviously it's a huge surprise for the most part. I, believe during our season preview i did say they were the one team i thought might get up there and fight for third but at this point they're number two that brings me to the second point from this race which is obviously again like we said last week if you're coming to this show to listen to us talk about how great red bull is you've come to the wrong show because it's just too simple but yeah there clearly is going to be some interesting interpersonal dynamics occurring within red bull the biggest storyline for me coming out of this this weekend is that like if Perez can have weekends like this, where max has a mistake or a car problem, like he did in qualifying and Perez has the same machinery. I think this car of all three that, that he's now driven for Red Bull, he is the most comfortable in clearly. And, if he can take the fight to max, we could be looking at a very interesting little civil war going on. Not unlike Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg, I think 2014, where you have two drivers who are clearly driving the best car and they're both able to get competitive points up on the board. I mean, if 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 nothing else changes, Red Bull should be one, two the rest of the way. Like they are so far ahead of the competition.
1: It's it's not even close. And specifically, like they're, they're a second... Per lap ahead of everybody else their drs is like 17 seconds by far above everybody else it's not it's not a fair playing level right now but the drama is going to come because also let's talk about Perez for a second because for the last two weeks i don't know if anyone out there like kind of follows along with f1 and f1 news is red bull was kind of shitting on him a little bit being like he needs to be faster he needs to be faster the lap times that ricardo is doing in the sim are faster than the times that uh perez is doing right, so yeah. like they're trying to for some reason cause a little drama there and he shut everybody up immediately yeah. had a great race i mean and once he took happened- over
0: once he took over it was his race and even when max caught up to that position he just he was so calm and he loves those 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 city circuits he's really really confident on yeah. the street circuit it was a really a dominant performance
1: a hundred percent and like you said when When the safety car came out and Max was able to decrease that um, time difference between him and Perez, Perez didn't blink twice and took it back and dominated the rest of the race to the point where they, the Red Bull asked both drivers to slow down. Yeah, to save the car. To save the car and Perez didn't do it. And Verstappen didn't do it to the Verstappen took actually ended up on the last lap, stealing that one point to stay in the lead of the constructors ahead of Perez. But these guys, from what the drama that happened in the last two races, last year to this year, it is a, there's gloves are off. Yeah. These guys are going to so They both yeah. want
0: to win. I think it'll be interesting in the next couple of weeks to see how this plays out, because it is very possible that very quickly Red Bull makes it harder for Perez. Let's just say, make sure that, Max as their lead driver, as their two-time champion, that he's given more preferential treatment. We saw it at Mercedes when Bottas occasionally pushed Matt, uh, Lewis early in seasons when they were dominating. We quickly saw the shift back to, no, this is our number one guy. He's going to get the opportunities. If you're back in a one-two position late in a race and there's an obvious opportunity, they're going to let Max pass. Like We will see now how Red Bull handles this, and it will be very telling early to see how they handle it because, as I say, they are so far out ahead. I believe that the cars that are chasing them – The Mercedes, the Ferraris, the Aston Martins will start to upgrade their package to find ways to try to close that gap. Will they get there? Probably not this season. It feels pretty much like Red Bull has just got a rocket ship on their hands. But let's say they get to some circuits where it gets a little bit trickier for Red Bull to dominate the way they have, if that happens. Then it's going to be really interesting to see when we have a 1-2 or let's say like a 3-4 of Red Bull in a in a position where they have to invert cars and they have to make decisions on who's got the pace. If Max has that edge, will they give it to him easily or will they let them fight it out? That will tell us a lot. I have a feeling it's going to become pretty clear to to, to Perez that he's number two because that's just how red bull works and it's kind of how red bull's always worked and you can tell 100%. the energy coming out of the verstappen inside of the garage you can tell the energy you know he came out post race and instead of being like yeah it's great it's good team result no he was like i don't like to lose i'm not meant to be in second place i'm i'm the number one guy like he was yeah. very adamant you heard him on the radio when they were like hey he asked who's got the fastest lap and they tried to like play it off no don't worry about it you don't need that he's like well it it doesn't i think they said it doesn't matter and he said it matters to me and it does yeah. he wants the lead he wants to hold the lead he does not want to concede anything when you think about it yes, he gets one point up on Perez, but it's really a net two because those are the two guys that are going to yeah. be fighting with each other, right? So it's one against and one for, and that it's just, it's going to be interesting. I would love to see, just for the sake of the championship, have Red Bull let them go. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Red Bull's too selfish in terms of how they've run their ship. Max is their guy. He's been their guy. They know he's their guy. Perez might not even drive for them next year for all we know. It's it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But from a fan perspective, it would be nice if we got some drama out of it.
1: That's what I mean. It's the only drama we're going to have for the first place totally. for winning races. Unless one of these cars hits a wall or an engine goes down or a drive well, shot fails or something. On that,
0: we've now done two races. And in both races, there's been some question marks about the reliability of the Red Bull. They've made it through this race. Obviously, a little bit more struggles earlier in, in qualifying for Max. But we did, he did talk about it. And I don't know if you could hear those radio calls when he was complaining about the drive shaft. Like you could hear yeah. this horrible noise. So clearly yeah. there are going to be some things. And yet even still, they're so far ahead. It's it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, no one's catching them. But it would be nice to see, like, if I was Perez, I, I wouldn't let off.
0: No, yeah, and he shouldn't. And hopefully he's got that. He, you know, he's got that motivation of knowing this is the best car. As I say, he's driven for Red Bull. He's most comfortable in it. They seem to have found a balance between his and Max style. They seem to both be able to really put the car right on the limit and that's what they want. So.
1: Yeah. Uh, and also and just to say one yeah. more thing about Red Bull, which we don't talk a lot about if I was Ricardo, I'd be in the ear of Perez. Like, Hey, keep, yeah. keep winning, keep pushing, keep winning because that'll just drive Perez out and give Ricardo that seat back.
0: Yeah. And that's an interesting dynamic there for sure. Let's talk about, uh, Alonzo for just a second. So we talked about, obviously he lost that third place, but Alonzo is demonstrating right now, already through the start of the season, like this guy's going to get a win here at some point. Sure. I, he
1: got the third place back though. He, did he, get he lost it. Back. They gave no, it back. to that's him.
0: That's right. He did get it back. But I'm just pointing out now he is, he is showing us not only that this Aston Martin is fast, but he's outperforming his teammate. And that's the next question I have is like, how long does this go at Aston Martin before there starts getting some, like, pissy anger out of the Stroll side of it? Now, Stroll's hurt. He's been recovering from a pretty severe, serious uh, surgery. Very impressive, frankly, for how well he did. And obviously, you couldn't blame him for the car failure later in the race. But, like, no. he – he, at some point, you got to think that, like, this could get awkward at Aston Martin if Alonzo is just dominating. Or is Aston Martin just okay to – have that position to win it. I don't know. It, it just feels like there's something also bubbling behind the scenes there that could be really interesting.
1: I'll say, like I'm not a Stroll fan. I think we both know and everyone knows I'm not a Stroll fan, but I think it's way too early to, to say anything kind of like that because he was really good in the first race. Sixth place with two broken wrists or whatever it is. Yeah. Very not good. Yeah, and and even uh, Alonso was like, "This guy's my hero." That he had an unfortunate event this past race that he couldn't. There's nothing he could have done. So within two races, I don't. There's no fault to stroll. But you're not wrong. If he doesn't start getting a podium here or there, then or even fourth place, like I think they'd be happy with him just fourth or fifth. Yeah, ahead of the Ferraris is their goal right now. It's it's not the top three, Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari. It is Aston Martin is probably number 2 100%. right now.
0: They are number 2 100%. Yeah.
1: So they just need that other they just need stroll to get up to that number 2 status of that car, which we we can't say that we have any we don't know what he's going to do yet.
0: Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about that for a second as you say. They're number 2. We have a interesting battle right now for 3. And it's fun only because it's we it's been a few years since we've really had some of these kind of top fights, but Red Bull's clearly number 1. Aston Martin Mercedes and Ferrari are fighting for second, third, and fourth at this point. Mm-hmm. But we really saw Ferrari take a, a step back. This felt like a year ago, all of a sudden. How many times last year did you and I start these podcasts going, Ferrari, what happened? But again, this just felt like another, like, even with new leadership, even with new whatever strategic planning, well, I don't know. It just feels like the same old Ferrari again. What's going on over there for the red guys?
1: I think at least it's a different problem. That's the take that's the good takeaway if you're a Ferrari fan. It's not mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. I know that Leclerc got a little upset about some information that he would wish he had earlier, but they're not making pivotal mistakes whether it comes to pitting or or strategy. It's just the car is not where it needs to be. Right. Which is… if they call that and they have the strategy, kind of seems like it's fixed itself. We've only, it's only been two races, but they're not making dumb mistakes. Well, which they is were the point, not, which is...
0: they were not in the fight this week, though. Like they could not no, catch those not Mercedes. The they were no. nowhere clear to the clear the ass Martin. So a team that used to be number two is now looking at the back of a lot of new cars that they it, weren't looking at the back of a week you know, a a race ago and a season ago. So there, for me, there are a lot more question marks and there are a lot more what's going on over there for Ferrari that they can't quite, you know, tie it all together yet. Yeah. It's early, obviously it's early, but definitely, you know, a team that is expected to do better than they have so far. And I think that there's going to very quickly, again, uh, in a lot of these cases, yes, it's early, but these teams are prone to overreact and panic very quickly. I think if they have another bad race in Australia in a couple of weeks, we could be talking early April about, you know, was it the right decision to move Bonato? Is Vassar the right guy? Can they get this to work for Leclerc and, and, and him? Do they need, you know, what's, what, what's wrong? Because again, for Ferrari, the stakes are, and the bar is so high. The stakes are so high. This team, you know, has not really seen success in such a long time. It's like the Maple Leafs. It's like, you know, uh, the, the, Dallas Cowboys, like this is one of those teams where you have such a large fan base that has such high expectations, and when you have perennial, uh, you know, failures that are that feel preventable, and that's I think the bigger thing. It's different if you're like, oh yeah, they, it's a write off. The season's a write off. No, they came into the year expected to compete, and they can't. The problem reason.
1: is if you're a Ferrari fan, and you're frustrated, imagine being signed to Leclerc at what point do they get so frustrated that they don't even want to be at Ferrari anymore because they're two very good, very young drivers. You lose, they start losing faith in Ferrari, even after the change with Bonato, then, then that's a bigger issue. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about the other team competing near the top there. I mean, it feels funny because we've talked for a couple of weeks already about how like there's all this doom and gloom surrounding Mercedes and all of the messaging coming out of them is that, how, oh my gosh, we got it wrong again and nothing's working. It's like you guys are still competing for podiums. I mean, they had a podium given to them for a second there and then take it away, but they were still, yeah. you know, fourth and fifth. I mean, it really, when the bar, I guess, is that high, that is failure. But at the same time, Mercedes is knocking on the door. They need to figure out their package. They seem to have some plans in the next four or five races. By race seven, they say they should have a pretty much new car. We'll see how that all plays out. Here's the big thing. We got a little bit of, again, internal drama occurring. We had Lewis, who was on the alternate strategy to Russell after coming out of the pit stop, and he was put on the medium. Obviously, it it, it was considered a bit of a gamble because it was still like, 30 laps or 35 laps or something to get it to the end. And yet he had fantastic pace. He had made a couple overtakes. He got himself up into a position and it did sound like originally on the radio, there was a team order to invert those cars and have let Lewis go after Alonzo and Russell pushed back and said, no, I don't want to do that because at the first point he thought Alonzo hadn't served his penalty. He was then told he had served his penalty in which case he kind of was like, Well, screw it. I, I still think I should fight for it. And then in the end, maybe he was right because he did have the the tire that took him all the way. Lewis's tires, I think, were pushed a little hard on, in that battle. But it definitely led to a little bit of sort of palace intrigue where we were thinking, wow, already at Mercedes, there's a little bit of, you know, jockeying for leadership jockeying for position. Russell wants to hold this position. He thinks he's the top dog. He thinks he's got the better strategy, all these kind of things. Whereas again, three years ago, this would have been unheard of. Bottas would have given him the spot. He would have grumbled about it, but he would have given him the spot. And it would have been interesting to see what Lewis could have done, even for those next 10, 15 laps with those better, faster tires. If he could have taken the fight to Alonso, I don't know at the time, again, as a, as a partisan, as a fan of Mercedes, I was frustrated to see them, sort of squabble because you kind of felt like it was hurting both of those two drivers. In the end, it didn't really matter. They ended up fourth, fifth. Would it have probably been the same result? Yeah. Maybe inverted, but at the same time, anyway, for you as an outsider looking at that situation, did you feel like it was as much of a sort of eyebrow raising moment when Russell refused to give him the spot or did it feel like, you know, I guess what we thought actually Russell,
1: I thought Russell handled it. Well, like listening to the radio calls at first, Russell said, Hey, I'm not going to give it to him because um, Alonzo could have a five. He has a five second penalty that has to serve. And then they said, well, no, you, he's already served it Awkward, awkwardly enough that if yeah. technically he didn't serve it. Yeah. Could have, it, it, it worked yeah, out so for Russell eventually. Worked out, yeah. But <laughs> then when they said, no, he's already served it, he went, Oh crap. That sucks. But he, then he just, instead of complaining, he just took off. Yeah. Like there's a there, it would have been different if he couldn't get 2 seconds ahead of Lewis Hamilton sure. but he almost did it immediately and he wasn't wrong because he was on a faster tire in like as the race. Hamilton was on a faster tire at that time but he was hard where Russell was um medium tire so he, he knew that his race was his car was going to get faster as the race went on. Now uh, it just sucks that it happens to Lewis Hamilton. When it feels like things just haven't gone right to him since the championship was taken away from him. Yeah. But this is two, this is two back-to-back fifth place finishes for Hamilton. The first race in Bahrain, Russell finished seventh. And now Russell's fourth. So Mercedes is very much there. Like they're they're not gonna fight for first or second. I think everybody watching F1 now knows that Red Bull is one and two, probably, and constructors for the rest of every race. You can bet on it. It's just there's so much about Lewis Hamilton that's you don't want to give up on him. He's the greatest of all time, arguably. But Russell is as good as Lewis Hamilton is now and will be, what close to what Hamilton is. Like he could, George Russell has a very promising future. He could win a championship yeah, or two no, for sure with Mercedes. So, at what point do you pass that baton, pass that torch? It could be happening this year. I hope not. I mean, it would be awesome to see Lewis Hamilton win or at least fight for another one, but I would be more upset with Russell if he didn't get that gap almost immediately.
0: Yeah.
1: If it took him like four or five laps and like just kept refusing to do it, then he's kind of a dick and makes everybody look bad at Mercedes. But the fact that he immediately just turned it on and went is kind of completely changes the entire storyline.
0: For sure. And I guess, as we say, with the Ferrari one, with the Red Bull one, with this Mercedes one, this is definitely going to be something we continue to watch as it evolves because we're early and we're going to see how this plays out. Russell was one of the most consistent top five performers last season. Uh, he looks like he's going to do that again. He's definitely competitive. The question is, can Lewis figure something out with this car? Can the team figure something out? Can Ferrari figure themselves out? Let's go to the rest of the field uh, before we wrap up this race. As I say, low, low event. I think that's kind of what, we termed last year. Like, it's not that it was a boring race. It was just low event. It wasn't a Mm. lot of stuff for us to kind of dig in on. It was the guys we thought would be there. were there. Look, do we want to spend a minute talking about the fact that Max made up what 13 places? Like the, the only part for me that I thought was kind of funny was that in the pre-race and I don't know if you watched all of the pre-race, frankly, it's become one of my favorite pieces of television. For those who haven't watched like the pre-race on, if, if you're watching on TSN in Canada, you're watching like the sky sports feed, right? And they've got Martin Brundle out there. I've never seen a more like disorganized or chaotic pre event to any sporting thing. When it comes to the broadcast, this guy literally just runs around the, the grid and throws a microphone in front of whomever he recognizes. And sometimes not even the right person, right? If you remember last year, he threw a microphone yeah. in, some, in front of some, I think he was a musician, a hip hop artist, but he thought he was Patrick Mahomes because he was, I guess black with curly hair. Like he wasn't Patrick yeah, Mahomes was and about halfway through player. he realized he wasn't, he, he could, he mixed up yeah. the Williams sisters. Like he, but I watched it this race, this race. And it was like, it literally, he, he, he negotiated for 35 seconds with the security guards in front of Will Smith just to get to Will Smith. They then granted him one question. He asked three. Will answered one and then refused to answer the other two because he'd been told it would be one question. And this is on live TV. It was so awkward and so clumsy. And then he wanders off. He, he started interviewing one person then realized he didn't know the guy's name, even though he had thought he was somebody else. Like, it's such a mess. Anyway. I- but <laughs> during this, it's gold, really watch it. It's, it's literally like, it, it, it's like improvised television. It's so stupid. Anyway, uh, he he got his microphone in front of some somebody, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody over at Aston Martin, and they made the joke that Alonzo had suggested that it would take max 25 laps to get to P2. Well, guess what? Right. 25 laps. The old yeah, dog I mean- knows how it was going to work out. It worked out exactly that way. Max had a great race. I mean, he has a fast car, still had to make those overtakes, had to survive the, the you know, the first couple laps there when everybody's bunched up. He did. He put his car back up there. He fought for it. I mean, you got to give the guy some credit, right?
1: No, for sure. I mean, like, we'll get to it a little bit more uh, later, but, uh, but it's Max Verstappen. Like, did you doubt it? Did anybody doubt that he would be top two? So...
0: No, I didn't doubt it, but I do want to ask you this, because I know that you and Puya on your other show love to talk conspiracy theories. Because this season is going to be dominated by Red Bull, is there any conspiracy theory to suggest that maybe once in a while their car will be sabotaged in the way it was during qualifying just to make it more exciting?
1: Like Red Bull's not going to sabotage their own car to make it more exciting. They want to dominate every race, but... I mean, maybe there's more penalties or maybe because you could say that this whole safety car, this last race, like meant to get Stroll's car. car was over by three, four centimeters yeah. at best.
0: Well, they claimed that the GPS on the computer showed it on track. So when they were looking at it in yeah. the control room, it looked worse than it obviously
1: really was. And is- that was just a bunch up the field to get kind of a better race. Like it's going to be a season where one and two doesn't matter. Like it's, This is Red Bulls. Well, experience. it could
0: matter if it's the two of them and it if gets actually. That's the only
1: way. That's actually <laughs> yeah. the only way that, that would you be get great. drama. I think that's that. That would the be winners. If it could happen. Be it. Because the rest of it, the rest of this season, we are looking at third place. Yeah. Alonso versus Mercedes. Alonso versus Ferrari, if they can yeah, figure it, it is out. It isn't
0: Stroll. It isn't Aston Martin. It's Alonzo.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's, unless people start just hitting Red Bulls, it's going to be Red Bulls 1-2 the entire year. And like when, I think George Russell said, it's Red Bulls winning every single race this year. I laughed at that at first, but well, Lewis 17 Hamilton 17 kilometers faster than everybody else. In Lewis DRS. Hamilton
0: came out after this race and said it is the fastest car he's ever seen in Formula One. Yeah. Never yeah. seen a faster car.
1: 17 kilometers faster than everybody else in DRS. Did they open boy, up. Oh boy, did
0: that, like, uh, did that did that penalty really hurt them? Eh?
1: Yeah. Like it, it's just it's yeah. No kidding. Yeah, the wind tunnel is really gonna hurt us this year. The wind tunnel is really gonna hurt us.
0: Every team should be overspending. I hope they're all eating fucking caviar right this year. I'll spend as much as you want on catering. Apparently it doesn't matter. It doesn't,
1: it doesn't make it matter. a difference. Doesn't matter. Um,
0: let's talk about the field. Any, any standouts for you? Yes. I mean, Alpine had a good race, right? Gasly had a good race. Alpine had a great race. I mean, else, they're supposed to be,
1: for you? Um, I don't know if anyone had a great race. Magnuson had a good race. Sonoda had a good race. Um, Haas is great to be at 10 and 12 fighting yep. for spots for yep. points. The, I This is the thing about this race that's different than every single race last year. There's not a bunch of buffoons out there just spinning out. Like there's no Latifi this year. Yeah. We've had two races yeah. and it hasn't been an idiot out there just spinning for no reason at all. Yeah.
0: The like, only two cars that didn't finish were mechanical. There was no yeah. dumb
1: mistakes being made. Like, that's, a, like, that's a massive difference because that causes everybody else to change positions and pit when you have somebody like, and I don't want to shit on Latifi because he's not in the sport right now anymore at least at the f1 level it's you caused a lot of drama you changed a lot of seeds in a lot of places and a lot of race finishes yeah. last year because you just couldn't keep it on the track sunoda last year did last this year same thing and how about
0: how about saudi or how about abu dhabi 2021 yeah, like
1: It just it's so like uh. yeah
0: but you're right but the, For rookies, me, talk about the, rookies. the rookies
1: this yeah. year are yeah on point, smart. Yeah, that's what I want. They're to making smart. good decisions. They're not yeah. pushing anybody. They're. I not thought Devries looked great. I accidents. Yeah,
0: devries looked great. I even thought Sargeant looked good. He made a, a mistake late that cost him a couple positions. He got yeah. overtaken by two cars at once because he kind of was a little over aggressive. But there were earlier in that race, he made some really good moves. He, he and Oscar had a little battle there for a little while. Like it was nice to see a Williams competing up there. Obviously, as you say, the Haas is up there. I think the haas are going to continue to. Compete for points, which is all they can be asking for at this point. Yeah, Alpine was more consistent, eight and nine, which is great. It was sad to see. I think, I mean, obviously you're partisan too, but like it felt like Gasly was worth more than he got out of that race because he had yeah, a very good start got, to the race, but he kind of yeah. got screwed a little bit later on. But
1: and then if you look at the rookies: DeVries, fourteen, Piastri fifteen, Sargeant sixteen, and like the good racing, they were the highlights of the last yeah. thirty laps, really. Yeah. Like just them them going around was is great. Let's talk a little bit about how sad of a day it was for McLaren. Again, like for yeah, I know. And it's just it's one of those things where can McLaren recover from this? I don't know, but I do know that the first race, let's just call it mechanical, they didn't have their shit figured out. Sure, this race was just bad luck of the draw. Like Piastri hits Gasly, his front wing breaks off, and just runs right into right under Norris's car. Yeah and they both now races kind of over it's so you can't check them out just yet because it's been two weird fluky races and it's so early in the season, but not what they were last year, a hundred percent, not anywhere close to where they were last year.
0: Yeah. And as you say, unfortunate, some bad luck, but we also know their car is just not as competitive as they expected it or want it to be so it kind of compounds right it be it it, it adds on to what's there i wanted for me the biggest standout of the rest of the field was zhao because when you look at where he is compared to where botas was who's really struggled like he's done more with that alfa romeo in the first two races than his teammate and he's only a second year guy like I think Zhao has a very bright future. It will be somewhere beyond Alfa Romeo eventually, but I, he's grown a lot on me. I would buy stock in Zhao right now as far as like a promising young talent that has more upside than I think I gave him credit for last year, thinking he was a bit more of maybe, let's call it a political signing, where it was like, oh, we've got a Chinese driver. We've got an opportunity to build a market. Not on like my market. nota. It felt a little bit opportunistic. We have seen that a lot in Formula One. Obviously, there's a lot of nepotism, but there's also a lot of these. I mean, Mick Schumacher, in many ways, was the same kind of thing for Haas. They were trying to buy a little bit of the German market. It didn't work out for them. But I think Zhao. Yeah. I think Zhao is proving uh, that he belongs here. He has, he's able to compete in the midfield. He's able to push his car beyond. Let's say it's you know expected outcome he only got to 13 it wasn't up in the points but it was a good race for him he had a good qualifying so anyway for me those were definitely some of the, the highlights and i felt bad for both albon and stroll because again not their own faults they they actually were running pretty decent races albon made a couple good moves early again putting that williams up further than it should have been but some technical problems for them so yeah absolutely Okay, I think we've covered what we need to cover for this race, except we need to hand out some hardware. So let's talk about uh, our awards for the race. We knew uh, we, we give out our own driver of the race. For for me, I think we're on the same page on this. It, it it it's Verstappen because of the overtakes, but give me the reasons why it's Verstappen and not Perez. Let's
1: say, um, you know what? So it's funny. We talked about this at the beginning of before we even got on air. It was leaning towards Perez as driver of the day. And I came in and said, you know what, Verstappen 13 places easily like came up from out of the points dominated within 25 laps. But now that I think about it, you're right. But like Perez held them off and was five seconds ahead of him. I give it to Perez because of the most overtakes or sorry, Verstappen because of the most overstate overtakes that got him back into the podium, right? Um, which we all knew he was going to do. But you, you also got to give Perez where his flowers for, when they're due. And both Red Bulls could have driver of the day. I lean first for Steppen just because we've always kind of looked at guys who are making up the most places. And there's no reason not to give it to him, even though we don't like giving things to him.
0: Yeah. No one likes giving Max or Steppen anything he hasn't deserved no. and most things he hasn't deserved in life. So the truth is, Paris had an, let's call it an easier or less eventful race. He had to make the overtake on yep. uh, on um, uh, Alonzo. Alonzo, thank you. I was just yep. I couldn't get the word Aston Martin out of my head, but uh, Alonzo <laughs> early race because Alonzo had a great start, but now we also know we lined up incorrectly. So regardless, yep. he meant Paris had to make that overtake. And then he had to make another overtake the rest of the day. He just had to keep everybody in his rearview mirror, which he did. Yep. But I think that uh, I, I I tend to lean with you now. Verstappen definitely had a harder road to hoe, even if he did have a faster car. He got past a lot of those cars. He made the moves he needed to make. He got himself to where he was, played the pit stop perfectly. You know, lots, everything went right for him. Uh, everything he controlled, everything he did and it just went his way, except for the very end where he wasn't able to catch him, beat Perez. And that's what it was. So I'll give that to him. Our driver of the day, Max Verstappen. Okay, our not-so-driver of the day. This feels harder this week than it was last week. Like last week, we had a bonehead. We just had a guy who was dumb and made bad decisions and kept yeah. screwing up in Ocon. Who's your not so driver of the day this week? Like it's not as cold cut, right?
1: It's not as there's nobody there's nobody you can look at and said they made bad decisions that cost their team track position points, anything like that, takeovers or being overtaken. I mean, Botas was a very disappointing day. Norris, very disappointing day, but he didn't do anything stupid. He wasn't being a bonehead. Um, they even let Piastri they they said let Piastri pass you, and he did it. Yeah. Um, I would say honestly, like if we have to choose not so drivers of the day, pick one of the Ferraris. It's yeah. a super disappointing day for them. Yeah. And like they can complain and, and yell at the the team all they want, but they need better results and they're not delivering. So well, you want
0: to flip a coin uh, or is I it just, either just gonna go
1: driver? Both of them. Let's go. I'm going to say give it to both of them. Okay.
0: Our not-so-driver-of-the-days. Go to both Ferrari drivers. I like that. we we'll go with that. All right. Radio call the race. Unfortunately, we don't have the audio from this one this week, uh, but just because it hasn't been made available by the FAA, and I wasn't able to pull it from the broadcast, but uh, I will read you the quote. Uh, for me, at least, this was the radio call the race because it was – You've already mentioned it. Uh, but the call was between uh, Javi, who is the uh, race engineer for Charles Leclerc over there at Ferrari, as they came through um, the pit window there during the safety car, there was a very late call made about when the pit stop should occur, and they identified that oh Lewis is pitting, we can we have an opportunity to make that overtake. But they told Leclerc very very late. The call went something like this: Javi said, "Try to push for the safety car at the surface Pardon me. Try to push from the safety car line uh, for Lewis Hamilton. He's just pitted." Leclerc had already passed the window, recognized he was not in a position to really be able to catch where Hamilton was going to come out. And he goes, Javi, you need to tell me this before. Javi says copy. And Leclerc goes, no, but come on. Because again, yeah. we're seeing these Ferrari guys, they know the right piece of strategy. They're just not very good at getting the information to the drivers in timely fashion. It's reminiscent of Monaco last year where they called for a pit stop and then not a pit stop after they'd passed the point of no return. And I think yeah. that there is this continuing pattern that is starting to frustrate these drivers where they're like, we can't execute the strategy you want if you don't give us the information we need before we're too late to actually be able to implement
1: it. So hundred percent, I, I'm going to go with a different radio call of the day. And, and it was, I think, I believe it's a, the radio call is by Yuki Sonata. Yeah. And I believe it was when he was racing Magnuson, um, Somewhere in the middle of the race, I don't believe it was the end, but he passed, he passed him on turn, whatever, but then with the DRS got passed again and wasn't able to gain the place fully and I was waiting for the radio call and it did not disappoint because Yuki just hit that button and just screamed, ah, like the top of his lungs, I thought he was going to swear, I thought he was going to do something or yell at somebody but he just screamed into the microphone for everybody to hear. I thought it was hilarious. Um, there's little moments like that where Yuki is a hothead, but at least he's not yelling at somebody. He's just totally. screaming. And totally. I thought that was the radio call of the day because, I mean, what else? What else was there? Or, you know what? You could, off the top of my head now that I'm thinking about it, the Verstappen call saying it is important to me. That's could a good be one the too. There's a few day. of them. All
0: right, yeah. well, we I think this one's going to be a draw a few different ways. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll just sort of accept that we didn't have a clear-cut winner this week. Speaking of unclear cut winners, not a lot of great overtakes other than I guess yeah. Max making, but they were also like easy. I mean, every time he got yeah. that DRS, he's got Nothing like 17 extra exciting. clicks. Yeah. What for you was the overtake of the day?
1: You could take, I mean, it has to be like a pattern like Alonso taking the lead off the start, great. Um Perez taking it back and then never giving it up could be yeah. the overtake of the day because that was he mine. never gave it back that was up. Mine. Yeah. Um, And then the last one you could think of is Magnuson actually took the last point of the race from Tsunoda in the last lap. So that there's three right there that were kind of the only exciting moments of this race on the track.
0: I think we got to give it to Perez because as you say, it's the only real incident or the only real sort of like actionable thing that he achieved other than then just putting the throttle down and never looking back. And I think it was a very important place for him to get it back quickly, not to let Stroll get a lead and hold a lead or make it difficult for him. I mean, the flat out of that Red Bull, though, like, my God, that's insane. Oh, yeah. All right. Final thoughts before we wrap up Saudi Arabia.
1: I hope the next race is more exciting than that one.
0: It's a good way to wrap it up. All right. uh, We will be back after this.
1: Hey, I'm Sayer, and I love Marvel. And I'm Kaylee, and I love someone who loves Marvel. <laughs> and we're watching through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, in release order. There's another order. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayers' 85th. <laughs> Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find MCU...
0: And me! Sayre's obsessed! And Kaylee's the best! MCU and me! Okay. You know what time it is, Tyler? It's time for mail. Okay, great. Uh, our question this week, Tyler, um, is interesting. It, 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 we've, you've given us a few examples already about radio calls. We've talked a little bit about some of the information we get on the broadcast. Again, if you're a listener to this outside Canada, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're watching this on. If you're in the UK, you're probably watching on the same feed we are. In Canada, we watch this on TSN we get the Sky feed. So we get the information from Sky. So that's kind of where the answer to this question is going to come from. But the question is very simple. It's from Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie asks, with all the data that teams get, I assume we only see a fraction of it on TV. What stat or data would you like to see during a race broadcast, Tyler? So from all the information we get, obviously, if you watch live, you can have the app open on your phone or your computer and you can be watching pit stop information, you can be watching sector times, you can be watching revs and all of the engine data. There's lots of available information for uh, viewers, but we don't get necessarily all of it on the broadcast, let's say. We get some of the radio calls, but it's a good question. What more, as a fan, do you think could be available to enhance the experience?
1: What I would like to see is tire wear and tear and heat levels. So only, I say this only because if you've ever played an F1 Formula 1 video game, you are, your tire levels are monitored and that's how you know when to take a pit or when you're changing your, your best driving line or whatever they must have something that's equivalent to that in terms of like how much of their tires left, what's been used, what the heat level is, what kind of turn radius they're losing. I want to know what they're basing that off of or what stat they're using or what is on their screen that says, Hey, you're losing your left front or you're losing your back. Right. I want to know that because they talk about it on the broadcast all the time too. So put the percentages of what is left of the tires of each left front, right front and the backs, I think that would be awesome to see that, see who's using it more, who's taking wider turns and how that's saving the car, because there is moments in time too, where they're saying, save the tires, save the tires. So they must know where's, where it's kind of breaking down before the other ones.
0: That's a great one. The other one I would go with, and I don't know, I don't think this is information that gets outside of the teams. I'm sure the teams have a calculation for this. I'm not sure that they monitor it directly, but I I mean, at this point they probably do. But I would love to see fuel load. I would love to know what amount of fuel the cars start with and to see how much is being burned throughout a race. Which cars are more efficient with their fuel, which cars aren't, which cars have, you know, tried to calculate how much they can live without, right? Because some cars are going to be fueled differently depending on how their engines are running and all of that. I would love that information throughout the race where you can start to go, oh, we're getting a safety car here. This could be a bit dicey. Now, we don't have a lot of cars that run out of fuel. We are not at that point in Formula One. But I do think it's interesting because it does dictate weight and all of those kind of things. I think it'd be fun to kind of have some more information on that throughout the race. The other one for me would be, I would love live updates on the energy reserve. So as we talked I about last say, week, that's, when, they're fuel getting, might not be... when they're generating the battery, I want to know before we hit that DRS zone and Alonzo's bearing down on Hamilton or whatever, does Hamilton have a full battery to defend or not? At the same time as that DRS opening, that kind of information would be fun.
1: 100%, because the only thing I would balk at with the fuel thing is you can't add or take away fuel during a race. Um, And there's not, so the energy levels you can actually change lap by lap, whether you want to like lay back and build energy or not. So that would be, I think that would also be a great one.
0: Yeah. Cause we get, if you've, if you've seen on the broadcast, you're going to get that camera angle from like just above the driver's head
1: mm-hmm. and you
0: do get, they do that super impos- imposed uh, graphic where they're showing you the speed, the speedometer, they're showing you the gear shifting and all that kind mm-hmm. of information. I think it would be fun to see that in terms of the ERS and what other information is there for that. That'd be fun. It's a good question. Lots to think about uh, as we go through other races. I think there's probably even more answers. We can, we can sort of dig in on this, but thank you, Stephanie. We appreciate the submission again. If you are listening and you have questions, please, you can submit them at any time by either direct messaging us on our Instagram account or you can send us a question to our email address, which is pitstop at ordinarypodcasts.com. All right, Tyler, we don't really have any other news this week, so let's get right to it in a week and a bit, I guess two weeks time. Two we're weeks going time. to find ourselves down under at the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, what should we expect in the Australian Grand Prix? This used to be the season opener. This used to be the race we waited yeah. for at the beginning. Now we go to the Middle East first. Now we're going to Australia.
1: It's I a think fun the track. Beginning of drive. the beginning of Drive to Survive was still the Australian Great, yep. Grand Prix. The last time was
0: prior to COVID. And it was the race that was called off the first week of March that season. They never got the first race underway to start the season because they had to cancel for COVID. And then when they came back, they went to the Middle East first because it was one of the first places they opened up. And since yep. then, that's where we've been starting. But Australia is still on the schedule pretty early on, race three.
1: And this first race, uh, the first Grand Prix in Australia was in 1996 on this track. It does and almost entirely consist of normally public roads. So maybe look at Perez again as your fantasy option yeah. this weekend, considering we know what he does on road tracks. Um, it can be quite bumpy because of that. The start of the weekend is very slippery, usually in this um In Australia. So um, your grip is going to improve what they call rubbering uh, is going to improve during the sessions. Um, So look at the times, obviously be faster and the tire differentials are going to be different as the weekend continues. Um, There's a lot of front end required in this track because you do have to chuck that car into some corners here. One of them is the famous chicane between turns 11 and 12. There's two DRS detection zones uh, between turns 12 and 13. That will is, That's where the detection zone is for the start-finish straight. And then the winding straight before turn 9 is a detection zone for your DRS between turns 10 and 11. Last year, our podium was Leclerc, Perez, Russell, with Hamilton in fourth, then you had both McLarens coming in, five and six. Some DNS last year, famously Verstappen. Um, Vettel was, didn't finish the race either, neither did Signs. So this was big troublesome for Red Bull last year because Verstappen now not finished two out of the last three races. Um, pit stop summary. So most of these guys are going to start, start pitting between lap 17 and 21 is when you're going to have most of the leaders come in. Um, obviously based on different tire strategies and everything like that, but that was the most common first pit stop last year. Um, qualifying started off with Leclerc and Pole, then Verstappen and Perez. Um, it's a great track. It's a fun track. It's a hot track. We are, I mean, like you said, it's one of the most favorite ones because it used to start it off. So two weeks time, right? first weekend of April. Yeah. And, then,
0: and it'll be interesting to see. Obviously it's always, Interesting when we start moving around the globe, you start getting those cars in different climates. Yes, it's still hot in Australia, but it is not Bahrain or Saudi Arabia hot. <laughs> Even Saudi Arabia, that obviously a night race, but yeah. it, it will be interesting to see what the conditions of those cars are and where we're at with all that another week for or another week or so for Stroll to recover, get healthier. Another week for teams to start to develop. I would start to expect there will be some package changes. We know that the big package changes will come during sort of the European window there when we're at Silverstone and Monza and all that kind of stuff in a few weeks' time, in a month or a couple months' time. I would say around like race six or seven is probably when you're going to see the biggest package changes, certainly for like the Mercedes and the, you know, if Ferrari's doing anything, those kind of things, they usually mm-hmm. kind of hold it off till then. But could see a few of those kind of things, which should be kind of fun. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Any, uh, you want to make a bold prediction or anything like that before we get into
1: this race? Uh, no bold prediction, but I will say that maybe this is a prediction that I think McLaren is the first car that comes with the upgrades. Okay. They definitely need help. They need all the help they can get at this point. (laughs) But don't Uh, like
0: do have a new Australian driver. We don't have obviously, um, uh, uh ricardo anymore ricardo. Yep. but we do have oscar Piastri making his first home grand prix as an australian driver for mclaren so hey if they get an upgrade to that package that would work out great for oscar but it'll be exciting for him to be there look it's always fun when you have a driver racing at their home uh, grand prix and it'll be fun for have, the first time especially for the first time absolutely that'll be a big yeah. one for him and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out all right tyler thank you uh, thanks everybody for listening. As, as Tyler said, uh, the Australian Grand Prix goes the weekend of March 31st through April 2nd. Uh, we will be back the following Tuesday, as we always are to give you our recap, our thoughts, our opinions, hand out some hardware, and then set you up for the following race. But until then, thank you for listening and.
1: from vroom. vroom. <laughs> Bitstop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps
0: have marked